clapping because like we're almost done. <laughs> we're almost done with Vietnam. We're almost done, but is this starting to get to you as well? Did I like? Did I make it bad last week when I like just I got really I'm trying to like get myself out of it? But like you know, it's just like, whew, it's tough, man. It's tough. It's tough. No, because I'm I'm feeling the same way. So it's better that we like match each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't blame the war season. I have been been particularly depressed lately. Okay. So I don't know. I wouldn't blame it. I think it's just a part of it. <laughs> not helping anything <laughs> it's not helping but yeah. i am getting to watch like a lot of new stuff which i appreciate yeah sometimes that makes me feel good this one wasn't new i had a joke to start with and then i've i've lost the thread <laughs> <laughs> great <laughs> have you did you did you did you get your rifle yet no like, they made such a big deal of the rifle in this and i didn't yeah. I still haven't got mine i never got my rifle. i've been doing the marches and the chants and everything and grabbing my junk but like yeah to, to be honest i i i really don't even know what branch of the armed forces we're in like <coughs> we just like got the, drafted. Uh, communication like, you, you need to come here do the podcast yeah. here and it's just like why Dude, no one I'm, even like listens to this and like no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> no one you just have to watch awful shit go down and talk yeah. about it. Yeah, no one like no one here is getting anything out of this. And this film definitely proves that, you know. <laughs> that like no one it's all it's all pointless. And that's the point. <laughs> we got Good there, folks. Good morning, Pontrol Cinecast. This is your host, John the Foster, and I am here today with my seven, six, two millimeter full metal jacket boy, Phil. How's it going, Phil? It's all right. Yeah, ignore everything at <laughs> the beginning. I'm doing. I'm doing great. Yeah, I uh, love it. Just loving life. We should just fuck it. Add another Vietnam movie. We should do Good Morning Vietnam. Should we? Because I keep like going we, on. We, you keep referencing it. T- to yeah. be honest, last week when I made that comment about like you know that like uh, there's so many of them that you could do an arc in itself. When I was uh, prepping that episode and I like you know was like right in the preamble to the episode and stuff, and I had that bit. I was thinking like, man, maybe we should because there there are like. Are we calling? Are we calling an audible? Are maybe we doing a mini arc. Maybe in the, in the middle of a big arc. Maybe, um, because it's kind of turning that way. Like, um, maybe like we don't necessarily come back uh, with what we were originally, because like we mentioned a few weeks ago, um, we're really getting close to Halloween here, um, mm. and it's time for your spooky ooky <laughs> Halloween. <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to take a break for a bit um, for some halloween films but the thing is when we come back we were gonna like wrap up the season with like outside of vietnam was it just like mm. one more film or something or like you know one two, proper technically two te- yeah technically yeah. two but we but yeah, could yeah, just like come back modern. with more vietnam on the other side i don't know yeah do we do platoon do we dare yeah or like deer hunter i've never seen the deer hunter have you not oh. no That'd be another one. This is just turned into Jonathan showed Phil like iconic war films he's never seen. <laughs> yeah. The Ark. <laughs> Definitely. Because I've got two so far. I didn't see Saving Private Ryan. Well, I, I did watch it. I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And I hadn't seen Apocalypse Now. And I hadn't seen Dead President. Yeah. Or Path to Glory. Yeah. 
Um, These are all or, the ones that I picked as well. <laughs> yeah, did fucking great choice. Yeah, though. I've never seen. Yeah, I've not seen to. Cool. I don't know. Again, this is when you step in the audience. Yeah, the audience, and yeah. be like, "Oh, I would love to hear you talk about this movie." You know, it's another good one, Tigerland. Tigerland, yeah. That's that's an underrated Joel Schumacher pick. Mm. Colin Farrell. Farrell, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Okay. These, but then it just turns into films I like. They're not yeah. even like, not even. They have to like add something to the conversation. I think yeah. Good Morning Vietnam does because it's literally our position now. He's not a soldier in that yeah. movie. He's the radio guy. He's trying to save the world with laughter. Rob Williams is what he's trying to do. True. Um, but it, and far quicker than it. So yeah, th- yeah. For that reason alone. There's a lot of like crossover with Good Morning Vietnam and the film we're about to talk about as well. Like in certain sequences, like um, mm-hmm. in terms of like you you get like moments of like when they're in Huey or whatever like you know just before before they go like he probably like you know before yeah he goes into the actual war bits you know he's like you know on a little bit of R&R or whatever like you know in the city and the, you, you, we'll get into it but like there's moments of that like his more more so like I think he's set in Saigon um, good morning Vietnam but it's like he's in the city and you get more of that city side and that's a like a unique thing about that and as well as Full Metal Jacket um, anyway uh, as Phil said you can let us know and you know what else you can do if you like us and if you like movies and if you particularly like you know we're sp- <laughs> speaking about like uh, spooky ookies if you like horror films if you like the idea of us presenting things to you like you know these war films maybe you like the idea of us presenting to you horror films um, well don't miss this at the Prince Charles Cinema it's, uh, as we present two spookies one spoof it's our triple feature of Scream I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scary Movie it's going to be taking place on Friday the 28th of October and we'll take the stage intro each film in the mini marathon doing God Only Knows What and uh, it all kicks off yeah 6.15 Friday 28th of October. Tickets on sale at PrinceCharlesCinema.com. Come see us and you can let us know yeah. there in person if you want us to continue talking about more Vietnam yeah. films yeah. like in the next week or so after the Halloween season's over because that's <laughs> going to be right at the end of our Halloween season. And I guarantee that the last episode we do will be kind of in reference to uh, yeah because it's vampires, Whatever which the is hell werewolves. We oh my! Oh my! Is oh my! Going we're bringing be, it back. We're going to bring it back, and oh my is without a doubt going to be us talking about Scream. I know what you did last summer in Scary Movie, and you could <laughs> be there in person as well. Um, I don't anticipate just because of when the episodes are going to be released that we'll have any audio from the live show. So it's going to be <laughs> one, of, one of a kind thing, just in person. And I don't think we're going to have enough time to really properly record and it'll be a faff. It's not like, mm. uh, it's not, it's going to be intros. It's not going to be like uh, what we did with Good Burger. Um, maybe one day we'll mm. do that again um, and we can have a live show. Uh, if you're interested in that, let us know. If there's demand, you know, maybe we can convince people to let us do that sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, Last week, Phil and I, we talked about one of the more underrated Vietnam War films. It was Dead Presidents. And this week, we continue it with our war season. War! What is it good for? Oh. (laughs) Did that even come out? (laughs) That's a little (laughs) speak. War! 
Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Hollywood movies. Listen to me. So yeah, last week we talked about uh, Dead Presidents. It's the 1995 film from the Hughes brothers that told the story of a black soldier struggling to adjust to civilian life as he turns to crime, war, and heist. Yes, please. Go check out Dead Presidents if you still haven't watched it. It's on Disney+. Plus. I mean, what are you waiting for? Just go watch it. And now we move on to one of the most appropriately rated Vietnam War films probably, even though it's <laughs> yeah. still like weirdly underrated in the career of the man of which who made it so interesting i would agree i would agree with that sentiment for sure yeah and what film are we talking about although i've said the name of the film numerous times already full full <laughs> metal jacket <laughs> paris island south carolina the united states marine corps recruit depot an eight-week college for the phony tough and the crazy brave. That is not your daddy's shotgun, cowboy. Private Joker is silly and he's ignorant, but he's got guts, and guts is enough. Most of you will go to Vietnam. Some of you will not come back. Cowboy. Sir, yes, sir. 0300, infantry. Joker. Sir, yes, sir. 4212, basic military journalism. You think you're Mickey Spillane? Sir, I wrote for my high school newspaper, sir. I hate the name Joker. I want to go out to the field. You wasted your first day in the field, and it'd be my fault. Joker, you will take off that button. How's it going to look if you get killed wearing a peace symbol? What is that you've got written on your helmet? Born to kill, sir. You write born to kill on your helmet and you wear a peace button. Would you love your country? Yes, sir. Why don't you jump on the team and come on in for the big win? I'm squad leader. Falling anywhere, scumbag. I need help. I'm trying to help you, Leonard. Are those live rounds? Seven, six, two millimeter. Full metal jacket. We follow smart aleck Private Davis, played by Matthew Modine, quickly christened Joker by his foul-mouthed drill sergeant, played by R. Lee Emery. And Pudgy, Private Lawrence, played by Vincent D'Ofrio. I always fuck. I don't know how to D'Ofrio, that's how I wanted to say it. But then like, I second-guessed myself, and I was just like, no, that's not right. Vinny (laughs) D'Ofrio. He's nicknamed nicknamed Gomer Pyle as they endure the rigors of basic training. Though Pyle takes a frightening detour, Joker graduates to the Marine Corps and is sent to Vietnam as a journalist covering and eventually participating in the bloody battle of way dude it's the 1987 vietnam <laughs> drama written and directed by stanley kubrick kubrick's penultimate film by the way and uh a screenplay oh, yeah. with kubrick michael Hare, and gustav hasford 
Um, I was going to say, dude, this is kind of the like, obviously, you know, because we were talking about Good Morning Vietnam and I've been kind of making because we it's it's not, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why we were kind of making a joke about that earlier. Um, it's not in our list of films to do yet. Um, but the vibe of Good Morning Vietnam slash the elements of him becoming a journalist and going to the war is kind of all the inspiration of us pretending like we're on the front. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. we're here covering things, which we're not, we're just, yeah. um, here talking about films that no one here wants to talk about because they see the horrors of war every day that they're here. <laughs> so they keep telling they're like, us stop to reminding up. us. Yeah. 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 Um, Where are the playmates? <laughs> <laughs> Where are the playmates? You said you were going to bring up people that are like going to entertain us. And it's just like, it's just these two fucking hairy guys. <laughs> we just bring in other heroes of like podcasting who come in and talk about equally unsettling things. <laughs> it's Joe Rogan, everyone. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Jordan Peterson shows up. Oh, God damn. Oh, Phil Hot takes out the gate. Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket. Oh man! I mean, this was uh, this was not last minute. We've known a while now. When we were deciding, this wasn't in the initial batch. And was yeah. it Past of Glory that you were just like, or was it Private Ryan? Well, it was, it was something Past there. of Glory the episode because it was Kubrick. I think, I think because of it being this like sort of anti-war film and the stories that were being told. And then it, I, th- I guess maybe actually when we get into Save a Private Ryan as well, it was sort of like that felt so patriotic and stuff. And it's just like, this is like the total opposite end, you know, like this film, mm-hmm. but this is even weirder. This film, it's even weirder. It's like, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I, I asked you hot takes out the gate and I'm going for it. <laughs> no, you go for it. You go for it, man. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I feel like um this film for me is like, I don't remember the first time I ever saw it. It's it's just, it's always existed. You know, like one of those films. It's like mm-hmm. Jaws or like for me, like Jaws or um, or uh, Rocky or something like that. Like these, these films that always existed in my mind, they were always, you know what I mean? Like you grow up, you, I don't remember the first time I saw Jaws. I'm not comparing this to Jaws in any way. It. I don't think this film is like uh, a perfect movie by any means. And I wouldn't even go to a venture to say it's like one of my favorite movies of all time or anything. I do like this movie, but by that, I mean that it's like something that I don't remember the first time I saw it. It was just always there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like one of those mm-hmm. things like the image of Lee R. Emery, like, or sorry, R. Lee Emery just like pointing and Staring the drill the sergeant, like the gunnery. It's just like, that's just, it's synonymous with like me and film and being into film even before I knew who Stanley Kubrick was. It's just like, I knew that image. Um, he was everywhere mm. as well. What a like this guy fucking made a career out of this movie, um, which yeah. is incredible. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Um, all right. So when Julie and I started watching all those war films last, last Christmas and stuff, and which led to this, this arc, it was the one movie we didn't watch. And I don't know why it was maybe, maybe like we had gotten to through a certain amount and we just kind of like, all right, that's enough. And we, yeah. I think we were wanting to watch this, but we just didn't. Maybe, maybe it had to do with the fact that, like, during that period of time, you and I were on a break from doing the podcast, as we tend to do around Christmas time. We take a bit of a break, and maybe like I couldn't sit around watching war films like <laughs> anymore because largely a lot of the films that I watch are uh, films for the podcast. So, like, I guess we had we got back to doing whatever we were doing at that time. 
And yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. Like we didn't watch it. So it was like, I was really excited to get back to watching it, like, you know, to watch it finally. And it was part of one of the things I was like, yeah, throw it in the list. You know, the films we're doing. Cause it's like a classic sort of Vietnam film, but man, it's a weird one. This is the is a weird one. I feel like this is the weirdest time I've ever had with this film where like, I, I guess maybe because of the way I was watching it, I was really watching it from the like a more analytical point of view, like of trying to dissect it a little bit more for the podcast, mm-hmm. which made me like almost have like a worse time with it than I thought I would. Yeah. It's trying to pick it apart a little bit. It's a film of two halves really, isn't it? Like in it, it's re- definitely. definitely in your face with it as well. The first half of this film is like incredible, incredible, like problematic as hell, but like incredible, not, not problematic as in that. I feel like it shouldn't have been done or anything like that. It's just like what it's talking about is like, you know, and it's, it feels very real, but it's just mm-hmm. like, it feels problematic. And I think, um, also horribly offensive. <laughs> <what's>, <laughs> thinking back on like what we were, uh, talking about, about like how this film got added. It was largely because of like how, um, I, I brought up the fact that like this film was really responsible for like, uh, a generation of young men to join the Marines. And it really was, you Jesus know, Christ, how <laughs> who would watch this and would like, yes, yeah, that's what I want. I want to be a man. I want to learn to kill. I didn't write this into the episode. Like I didn't write this bit in, but I was reading this article about how this film seduced a whole generation of young Marines. Um, and it was written by the guy who wrote Jarhead. Uh, and it, oh, I think it was in the, in the wake of Arlie Emery's passing, which was a few years back. Mm. So that uh, drill sergeant was just so, compelling to a i guess a group of young men i mean there are it's it's hard to fathom of anyone like wanting to go to war or anybody wanting to join the military and stuff but like that's because it's me and like my experience of not being into that and obviously like probably a lot of people listening to the podcast would be like kind of anti-war and all that sort of stuff but obviously Mm -hmm. there are the people who do join and like not the people who join because they don't have any other option which is a lot of like I can forgive people for joining the military when it like in some respects for some people, it's going to be the best option for them in terms of like making a future for themselves after the fact, Of course, not yeah. necessarily agreeing with what they're doing while they're there and all that. But you know, it's, it's a way out for some people and a future for some people and that's whatever. But yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Like, there's people who are really gung ho for joining up, and this film had a real big impact on people, largely because of the gunnery sergeant. And I think a lot of it is to do with because it shows, and it like it, it's something I never really thought about much until I watched it this time. Maybe it's just because I hadn't seen it in a while, but it's it's one of these films I've seen countless times. Um, but the way I watched it this time, it's like man, it's like it really does. It's about like turning like we were talking about last week's episode, but this one in particular is about turning a boy into a man, into a killing machine. And somehow that was like really seducing to a young generation of men who came up watching this and set, sent them into the Gulf Wars and into the Iraq Wars and Afghanistan and all that. So it's, it's a weird one, man. It's re- it's like, I remember being in school and there was like all these guys, cause we had a, our JROTC program in my school. 
um, which is like basically like a junior. I don't, I don't know what it stands for, but basically it's like they're in the like military. The thing? Well, oh, yeah, okay. it's like a class that they like would a go, training. Camp. Like a, yeah, and they would do like this sort of extracurricular sort of class, but they would do drills and exercises, and um, it was like they were in in the military and a lot of the kids who go into ROTC end up going into the actual military after, after the fact. And I do recall like talking to a few of my friends that I had known since like grade school, like in high school who were in ROTC, just talking about full metal jacket with such a like appreciation for, and like fascination and like, you know, just like love admiration for like, the film and it's like I knew it back then and I was just like we watched two different films you know and it's interesting and that's like what's in that article by the guy who wrote Jarhead it's like it's a really interesting article because he's like you know I know some people will see this and see it as like an anti-war film but I saw it as like you know holy shit <laughs> you know I want to be a part of that <laughs> and it's like crazy to think about because it's like Kubrick definitely wasn't like doing that he he was showing like you know how the war turns the young men into like these killing machines and stuff but it was more of like a futile like you know it's it's all futile it's pointless it's all like you Mm. know this is like why are we doing this why Mm. are we people like this you know yeah anti-war to get yeah it's crazy i mean i think what i was saying with the to close up and i'll let you go is like um, when I was watching this time, I think like the first half is like so crazy. It's really, really good. And it's like I want to it's like you almost want to live in there, like um, in those moments in the barracks and stuff. And then it kind of like takes off when they go to Vietnam while it's like still really good. And I feel like it's almost saved by the very end because that's like where you're reminded of like, holy shit, how horrific this is with the you know yeah. the little girl, basically, the girl. who's the sniper. And then all these boys walking away singing the mickey mouse theme song like the mickey mouse theme. makes you realize these are fucking kids you're absolutely right that ending does save it there's a section in the film because i feel like the vietnam section like when they're actually in vietnam again is like a lot shorter than i remember it like and it's very mm. small it's like it's a one it's like there's not like a lot going on there they like they go because of this tet offensive happens and they go and they join up with you know, cowboy and his crew. And it's kind of like, it's almost the end by that point. It's really weird. Yeah. And the beginning is a lot longer than I remember it being. So it's like one of those like weird things where it's literally a story of two halves. And I feel like it's weird. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really have a fascination. Maybe I don't find like some of the stuff that's in the actual Vietnam segment to be as funny or like, entertaining maybe as i thought it was when i was younger and stuff i'm not like a little kid mm. anymore so i don't think like me so horny me sucky sucky long time like is mm. funny like anymore like i don't know yeah it's just kind of weird yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it's weird now it's yeah. only aging worse yeah and worse. um but that's the point um go for it um, yeah i mean I'd echo, <laughs> I, yeah no 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 no. i was great i would echo your state your uh, sentiment exactly like i the, yeah full male jacket very much a film of two halves and the first half is better yeah uh, that's just it so yeah. it's like watching it it's a weird experience it's like my memory refuses to like grab onto anything that kind of happened in the second half still like even we watching parts of it for this like but the ending is all oh, it's haunting mm. so it stays with me so you're right it's saved by the ending but you need that like if the if the 
the you know the journey of the movie to show like you said from a boy to a man to a killing machine locked of innocence right that's what for metal jacket's about so you need the transition you need that trip over there to complete that journey but because you so rarely get like like the kids at that stage training yeah you know like yeah that's fucking fascinating because you get all these interesting you get these like weird social group dynamics having happening and you have the drill sergeant barking down the throat saying the worst shit imaginable and he's <laughs> unintentionally hilarious yeah yeah and so you're kind of like the, you're kind of with goma pile when he can't stop smiling and it that's a fucking career defining performance i love vinnie d'onofrio but that it's one of my favorite performances just him and goma pile i think it's yeah. amazing He's got two two career defining roles in my opinion. It's it's this for sure, and then mm-hmm. Men in Black, and that's no joke. Oh, Men in Black. Because you forget it's him in Men in Black. So good. <laughs> He's so like, good. That okay. sounds like a joke. I am not like I would no, love to talk about that. Men in Black one day because it's great. There's things about Men in Black I always remember. Like it's just stuck with me forever. That are yeah. so yeah. good. But his yeah. performance is the weird cockroach alien guy that gets inside actual farmer guy like you know yeah it's incredible brilliant it's so good yeah and i would add hit kingpin and dead of as well yeah. Being amazing yeah, yeah. in that if you ever watch that so yeah just that stuff is far more entertaining but it's mm. just it's gonna be and it yeah. ends like it's almost like a short movie in itself because it, it ends so definitively and so powerfully in such a memorable fashion um that like it kind of you get everything you need from that point and then it's like oh the film continues it yeah. keeps going and you're with a whole new group of people and it just it feels a bit disjointed but that I maybe there's not a way of doing that but because of that it's kind of a, a weird experience but I would I would definitely agree that it obviously it's a, f- a very appropriately rated war movie but it's underrated I think with Kubrick's catalog um I think it's one of his better, more experimental ones, and I like that. And I like it comparing it to Path of Glory as well, because where that one was, you know, dealing with the bureaucracy of war, this is all about the psychology behind it. Again, yeah. it's in Vietnam, but it could kind of take place anywhere, but yeah. it's just more effective to have it there because it feels like that's when the whole world found out about like the real, what really goes on behind enemy lines, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, World yeah. War One, World War Two, there's still a reverence and the privacy that soldiers, you know, maintain during those wars and considered very patriotic and heroic in Vietnam, <laughs> yeah. just kind of yeah. very tainted and convoluted and destructive. Um, so it makes sense, obviously, to put it within Vietnam. You know, it's like no war could ever be that way again like you know patriotic and i feel like no one could ever really get behind war ever again and then it's not like no in the same it's way, not yeah. vietnam's fault in particular it's just like um it's like because of the advancements in like technology and stuff as well like people know more can like find out more you know and it's like i guess yeah. by that point there was more reporting done like for instance people like you know um uh joker being over there reporting is stuff mm. like that was being or done. Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah. 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 Dennis Hopper's character, the, 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 um, Francis Ford Coppola, like, you know, filming things, obviously there was filming being done in world war one and world war two and stuff like there's footage, but it's like, it's it, the advancements of technology, 
you know, to be able to film and record and, you know, really be on the ground. And like, for instance, even last week's episode, Wallace Terry getting all of those stories and he was there reporting. It was like more people were there, like putting themselves more in like dangerous positions to report on what was going on. And it's kind of an interesting, like. It brought light to, I think, a lot of the, um, I mean, Vietnam had a particular, you know, streak of atrocity. Yeah. And, you know, you could, you could see it. Yeah. People at home can see pictures of the, you know, girl running out of the napalm attack, you know, mm. stuff like that, that haunts you. Yeah. And so it's, it's a perfect parallel or it's a perfect setting for this story. You could do it in World War II, it just wouldn't be as effective, um, I don't think. But, like, it's interesting watching, you know, since Path of Glory, and obviously that's a very well-directed, well-controlled film. Mm. Did a great job, but like stylistically, Kubrick has found himself over and over and over again since making that. This is what thirty years later, yeah. Um, and it's a genre, you know usually he would sort of go genre to genre, like he did a sci-fi movie, did a horror movie, but it's like this is the one he already did and felt like he had something new to say. And with his new sort of sensibility, that's something even more penetrating about Full Metal yeah. Jacket because it's shot. Like a Stanley Kubrick film, the you know typical grandiose camera work and symmetrical framing, it had all the tools that makes you uncomfortable on top of a story that's really upsetting to watch. Yeah, so it's sort of a grueling experience, but also one of his most entertaining movies. Yeah, just yeah. For Arlie Emery, right? Like, yeah. just he's so fucking. He's so funny. Good. It's like so funny. It's so every line is so memorable. Like, yeah. You know, I'll screw off your head and shit down your throat. Like, stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, um, it's just amazing. I mean, he, God, he has that, like, really incredible, like, thing where he's talking about, you know, the Marines and how there's no, like, you know, there won't be any racism here and stuff. But then he goes and says. <laughs> I hate really, you all equally. Yeah, he goes and says really racist shit after he's just and homophobic shit. Just yeah, like, yeah. It's just, like, really, like, ridiculous. And, um. Yeah, he when he goes up to Cowboy, Stanton like, Queer. Yeah, That's that me. that line, like, was used a lot growing up. Like, not by me, but like I remember mm. hearing that line a lot. That's the way this film, like, in Arlie Emery's performance, like, just became like a cultural sort of thing. Like, it, there's those lines that he spits out are incredible. I'll get into his his whole thing as well because it's kind of really interesting. There's a lot more about this film it was easier to kind of like pick out a lot of stories and stuff. Um, it's interesting. I, I think like, as we're wrapping up on the sort of hot takes segment before I really get into it. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I think like the thing that's really impressive about this film is that you could see elements to the film that like really influenced maybe films that came after it, which is funny because like we talked about how groundbreaking like saving private Ryan was, but just like there's, elements of like the shutter uh you know shutter speed and stuff that that he was using like particularly like in the scene when um the snipers like you know shooting the guys mm. and the, like the, the you know the soldiers start falling over like eight ball falls over like ah and this is like you just, like that shutter speed is being like manipulated and stuff and like those are things that you would see in Save It Private Ryan, you know, and mm. Spielberg being a big, you know, fan of Kubrick, obviously like, well, it's like well known that he like picked up AI, which was Kubrick's 
was going to be Kubrick's project, um, but Kubrick mm. passed away before he could do it. I mean, and this film in itself is like also like a film that just kind of came out of Kubrick trying to do projects that just were really unrealized. You know, he has mm. like so many. He had a really lengthy career. Obviously, you can go look up Kubrick's filmography, but like there's a whole section. I believe we might have talked about this on a past episode before, but like on Wikipedia about like Kubrick's unrealized projects. They're almost as long as many people's filmographies. <laughs> like, yeah. It's crazy. So in 1980, Kubrick contacted Michael Herr, the author of the 1977 Vietnam uh, war memoir dispatches, which was the memoir that got Francis Ford Coppola interested in hiring her to write the narration bits in Apocalypse Now. So if that name sounds familiar, we did just mention Michael Herr like a <laughs> couple of weeks ago. Kubrick wanted to work with her on a film about the Holocaust, but eventually dropped it in favor of the Vietnam War. Little did he know, uh, <laughs> you know, Francis Ford Coppola would kind of like come with this mega fucking Vietnam film. And then like it spiraled like into the eighties of like a crazy amount of Vietnam films as well. So it's like by the time 87 rolls around and this film comes out, it's sort of like, Oh, another Vietnam war film, but leave it to Francis Ford Coppola to do things that you'd never see before. Like for instance, Mm -hmm. like you said, the whole like drill instruction bit at the beginning of the film. And that's something that I feel like can never be done as good again. And it's only like, you know, just, you know, people trying desperately to make something as interesting as that. And I think that was sort of the thing about like the guy who wrote um, uh, Jarhead. He kind of mentioned that in his article. That was like, it was such a groundbreaking like bit of that movie that like, you know, mm. it felt so real and stuff, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, which is crazy. Um, well, anyway, Kubrick discovered Gustav Hasford's 1979 semi-autobiographical novel, The Short Timers, about his experience in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive in, of 1968. So the Tet Offensive was one of the largest escalations in the military campaign in Vietnam. It was launched in January 30th of 1968 during the Tet Lunar New Year Festival in Vietnam by the forces of the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese People's Army of Vietnam against the South Vietnamese Army and the United States Allies. It was a campaign of surprise attacks against more than 100 military and civilian command and control centers throughout South Vietnam. The outcome resulted in the U.S. to scale back its involvement in Vietnam. Though U.S. and South Vietnamese forces managed to hold off the attacks, news coverage of the massive offensive shocked the American people and eroded support of the war effort. And despite heavy casualties, North Vietnam achieved a strategic victory with the Tet Offensive as the attacks marked a turning point in the Vietnam War and the beginning of the slow, painful American withdrawal from the region. So we do get the, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because like Joker kind of wants to bring a story up about rumors of a Tet Offensive happening and the guy who's running the um, the paper that he works for, Stars and Stripes, which was like a real a real paper uh, in Vietnam was basically cutting it, cutting it down, like chopping it down. It was like, Oh, that's just rumors. They say that every year it's never going to happen. And then it actually does. Mm-hmm. And we get this sort of like, like even that, like that's the thing I, I was also going to say this is like, I feel like there there's, we've seen so much already, you know, like and particularly with apocalypse now, it's really hard. Like, Maybe that we should have saved that for last in terms of Vietnam, <laughs> because <laughs> like when you see off. like something so grand, 
And then like you're watching like a Kubrick film and you think like, oh man, it's fucking Kubrick. But like in, re- like, uh, in comparison, it's sort of like it's maybe not slight, it's slightly not as grand, but I think it's, it's more, more impressive. It gets more intimate. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's impressive though, just like uh, when we get to like how he made it and where he made it, that makes it more impressive, which I'll get to. Okay. <laughs> but I always think the scenes, oh man, I just start thinking about like, it's so mesmerizing. Um, still, again, the first half of the film when they're marching. Anytime you see like the guys like marching in their like you know proper uniforms, um, mm. you know the cadets and stuff, you know, and they're like you know saluting stuff. I don't know what he did, but it's like the colors of their uniforms. It's that green color and the way their legs are all in unison. And I can just imagine he was like just because you know Kubrick. A million shots you know a million takes yeah, yeah he probably like just if anyone was out of sync or whatever he would make them do, it, do again, it again do it again because i don't know if you noticed it but it's like something really mesmerizing about the way their like legs move and stuff and their arms are moving mm-hmm. in the uniforms and like it's this green color and it's just like it almost is hypnotizing every i've noticed that ever yeah. since i was a little kid had zero like appreciation for actual filmmaking back then but like it was always just like, whoa, that looks weird, you know. <laughs> like it's really yeah, weird, it's oddly satisfying yeah. <laughs> and oddly off-putting. Yeah. And again, adds into the idea of them becoming like machine men. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. cogged in a machine and just yeah, like becoming perfectly like at one unit, moving in unison. Yeah, kind of terrifying. And they keep it. They keep it. Any shot like that, the he he revisited that several times. That's how the movie ends. Yeah just like the wide shot of like you guys like marching (laughs) (laughs) fucked up scenarios well after reading the short timers a couple times uh kubrick decided in 1982 to adapt it for his next film he would begin researching by watching archival footage and documentaries reading vietnamese newspapers a microfilm of the from the library of congress and studied hundreds of photographs from the era uh, initially, Michael Herr was not interested in revisiting his Vietnam War experiences, and Kubrick spent three years persuading him to participate. Fine, damn it! Describing <laughs> the discussions as a single phone call lasting three years with interruptions. <laughs> <laughs> in 1985, Kubrick brought Hasford on board to join the team, and they would uh, talk on the telephone three or four times a week for hours at a time. Kubrick had written a detailed treatment for the novel. And he and her began to meet each day to break down it, break it down into scenes with her writing a screenplay on the side. Kubrick worried that the audience might misread the book's title, uh, which was the short timers as a reference to people who only did half days work. And that's where he came (laughs) up with the name full metal jacket after coming across a phrase in a gun catalog. Again, better, awesome title. title. (laughs) title. A title that talks about. Yeah. After the first draft was complete, Kubrick edited Hasford and her submissions. So basically he had them both submitting things to him and (laughs) the team repeated this process over and over. Um, Neither Hasford nor her knew how much they had contributed to the screenplay, which once again, like with Paths of Glory, led to a dispute over the final credits. So (laughs) Hasford said, we were like guys on an assembly line in the car factory. I was putting on a, uh, on one widget and Michael was putting on another widget. And Stanley was just the, uh, the only one that knew that this was going to end up being a car. (laughs) (laughs) 
At some point, Kubrick wanted to meet Hasford in person, but her advised him against this, describing the short-timers author as a scary man, a big haunted Marine, and did not believe that Hasford and Kubrick would get on. Kubrick, however, insisted on meeting which occurred at Kubrick's house in England, and the meeting went poorly, and Hasford did not want to meet with Kubrick again, and they had a big falling out and stuff. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. Uh, though through Warner Brothers, Kubrick advertised a casting search in the United States and Canada, and he used videotape to audition actors and received over 3,000 submissions. And Kubrick's uh, staff screened the tapes, leaving 800 of them for him to review. So this was like, I think, a big thing where like it was like, this is the new Stanley Kubrick project. You know, like, do you want to be a part of it sort of thing? And all these young actors started getting involved. So let's get into the cast. We have uh, obviously Matthew Modine plays Private Sergeant J.T. Joker Davis. Uh, he was a wisecracking young Marine who was sent to Vietnam as a war correspondent for Stars and Stripes. Kubrick originally offered this role to Anthony Michael Hall, but after Whoa. eight months of arguing about money, they parted ways. Hall said that it was a great, difficult decision because in that eight-month period, I read everything I could about the guy, and I was really fascinated by him. I wanted it to be a part of the film, but it just didn't work out. But all these sorts of stories circulated like I got on set or I was fired or I was pissed at him for shooting too long. It's just all not true. That's insane. I can't <laughs> imagine fucking Anthony Michael Hall in Full Metal Jacket. That would yeah. have been amazing. So Val Kilmer was also up for the role. Which, I can see Mind that. you, this is 87. So this is like, you know, just Young after Val. Top Gun. Top so Gun. he was still really young, hadn't become as controversial as he became like a little bit mm. later. Yeah. Uh, he. This is interesting. So this is how Matthew Modine got the role. So Val Kilmer was like, so sorry, Matthew Modine and David Allen Greer. Shout out to David Allen Greer, great underrated like comedy actor, really funny mm. and and living color and stuff. I really love him. Um, so him and Matthew Modine were having breakfast together, and they were at some like cafe or diner or something. And Val Kilmer like was there, and he was like giving them sort of like like a stink eye or something. And David Allegreer knew both of them. So he introduced the two and Kilmer said, yeah, I know who you are. And he's like, you know, I I guess by that point, Matthew Bodine had done a few roles. He he was doing a film called birdie with like Alan Parker and stuff. And he was like on the rise as a young actor, but he hadn't properly broken through. Um, Mm. And he was like, yeah, I know who you are. I'm sick of you. And now you're doing Kubrick's (laughs) film. And it was just like really weird because Modine was like, I didn't know what he was talking about. And, I, you know, he contacts his manager and he his manager was unsure what he was talking about. So they ended up sending some footage to Kubrick, uh, who also apparently didn't know about Matthew Modine. So it's just like this <laughs> weird thing where. So he got him the role? He inadvertently got him the role by saying that. It was really bizarre. Like Maybe he thought he was someone else. Maybe. Maybe. It's like, but he yeah, said, I know strange. who you are. <laughs> yeah, very strange. Um, so yeah, he sent out like footage and stuff. And I think it was just like what it was. I was watching this documentary. It's like this short documentary about Full Metal Jacket um, where they were explaining like, so Alan Parker had sent some footage over and Kubrick actually wasn't too fussed by any of it. But then there was like a bit that was tacked on at the end 
that hadn't been cut out or whatever, where he was just being really silent and like, you just kind of got to see like him a little bit. And that like, and that was enough on Matthew Modine, which is like incredible. Like imagine if that got cut out and then that's not you in the film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he wanted you, not even like your performance. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted you were good. He wants you. Yeah, it's interesting. Matthew Modine's pretty good in this film. Uh, he's like an interesting sort of character. Obviously, he's like, it's weird. We keep getting all these Stranger Things sort of uh, things popping up, but he's like oh, God, heavy in Stranger Things these days. Yeah, bizarre. it's strange because like, this is like his career-making role, but still, this is what he's known for. Like, mm-hmm. If I had to pick out anything else, it'd be that, did this. I mean, it'd be Stranger Things. Then like, he was in The Dark Knight Rising. Yeah. Yeah, and got yeah. like way too much screen time in the dark. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's good in this. He's very much. Um... <sighs> Anthony Michael Hall was in Dark Knight. So. He was, dude. Yeah, what yeah. the fuck? Nolan is a Kubrick fan. Yeah, you know? <laughs> true. Um, wants uh, to be Kubrick. It's, um, he he's good. He's good, and like I like the whole private Joker thing. But I feel like he is a very much like a conduit for the audience mm. through most of the film. Yeah. It's not too strong a presence, especially in the second half, I guess. He's not way in, and you can sort of project yourself onto him. You don't want him to be, like, too overstated or anything, you know? Like, he needs to yeah. be, like, just quiet enough for you to feel like you could be there as well. But he got a great war face. Yeah, he does. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Uh, so, I don't know if it's for the Private Joker role. But Bruce Willis turned down a role in the movie because he was filming Moonlighting. Again, this is like around the same time as Die, uh, Die Hard as well. So interesting. I think Bruce Willis did all right. Yeah. yeah. Would have been interesting. As long as he didn't give it up for Hudson Hawk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Malcolm. Yeah, we're way off. Bruce Willis was doing an uh, interview for Playboy magazine, and he like was... I, I read this um, when I was prepping for this and he was talking about like going out for uh, or being, you know, passing up on full metal jacket. And he was really disappointed mm-hmm. about it because he was like talking about it's interesting. I'm, I wanted to bring it up earlier because you were talking about like how Vietnam is just like it became the war that like people really start to turn on and understand of like, oh, America's lying about stuff. And like he was talking <laughs> about that in the interview it was really interesting and then, like, the it was almost like the person who was interviewing him didn't expect him to, like, go off like that. Um, <laughs> On Vietnam. Yeah. And, and then, like, it kind of, like, ended up turning into, like, him talking about aliens and shit. It was so funny. Like, he was just, like, I think he was saying, like, you know, Vietnam just being so complicated and stuff. And, like, war is just really fucked up. And, like, we're, like, you know, really horrible people and stuff. And, like, you know, there's probably, like, you know like intelligent life out there who's just staring at us like just really perplexed by how stupid we are which was like it was really like an intelligent <laughs> oh, like, response someone yeah. like like well, the person asked him he's like oh so you think there's like aliens he was like yeah when i was in new york i used to like sit up on my t- on top of a taxi and just like look up in the sky and shout like take me <laughs> I was just like, Bruce Willis is out of his fucking mind. <laughs> Bruce Willis sounds like yeah. he lived in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another person that wanted to be a part of the film was Denzel Washington. 
again, it's like kind of before he was a huge star as well. And uh, he didn't like the fact that Kubrick didn't send him a script. I guess that was just not his his thing. Not my style, like, bro. Kubrick doesn't send scripts out to people. <laughs> so, He's like, well, I'm not signing so, on yeah. to a movie if they're not script. Yeah. So, so yeah, he passed up on it. While filming, Modine was encouraged by Kubrick to keep a diary of his experiences. Uh, notorious for his closed sets, Kubrick granted Modine the rare privilege of photographing the process, capturing moments on the set. He felt that keeping a photographic and written diary would be beneficial uh, opportunity uh, for his preparation as a war correspondent in the film. So he was all yeah, for it. Yeah, perfect. And the film it like a war. So then in 2005... Modine would release this as Full Metal Jacket Diary, containing photos and diary entries of his experiences over the two-year period of working on the film. So that's out there. And then in like I think 2013, they he made it into an app with like him like reading bits of it and stuff. Like it's, I don't know, I don't understand the <laughs> use of the word app for that. But like I guess it was an app. You yeah, could I was about to say Like, did he hook up with Jeremy Renner? <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. callback. <laughs> At first, Full Metal Jacket was set to begin with the uh, Joker's funeral in a flashback, but Cooper thought it was wrong. Apparently, he like called all the like the actors in. It was really weird. Like um, one of the actors in this interview, oh, sorry, this uh, documentary I was watching, he like just called them all in and was just like, you know, I don't know how to end this film. Like, how should I end this? And it was really bizarre. Like, um, so yeah, he continued to consider killing off Joker, but he just thought it was wrong. And he kept asking Matthew Modine if he thought it was right for the character to die. And Modine angrily told Kubrick that surviving the war and having to remember all the horror for the rest of his days would be the most fitting end for of all for Joker and the movie. So once again, mm. Kubrick backed off and that was like how this ending kind of comes out. Yeah, I know I said his name a couple of times as well, um, but it's never actually really mentioned in the film that Joker had a name. His name is J.T. Davis. And in 1961, uh, specialist James T. Davis was the first recorded American battlefield casualty in Vietnam. So that's where the name comes from. Oh, really? Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. So Vincent D'Afrio plays Private Leonard Gomer Pyle. Lawrence. Lawrence. Uh, an overweight, slow-minded recruit who is the subject of the drill sergeant's mockery. It's like we've already talked about what an incredible performance, man! Like it's kind of sad as well. It's just like really it's sad. It's sad. It's so sweet. Sad. It's sad, and then it's fucking horrifying. Mm. And to do all of that in like what, like an hour? Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, he had such an incredible performance and he gained 70 pounds or about 32 kilograms to play the role. He basically like was just, I think he like gained 30 pounds and they were just like, yeah, you just need to keep going. <laughs> keep going. I'll tell you when to stop. Yeah. It's like to this day, still the most like weight any actors ever gained for a role. Really? Yeah. Even with Christian Bell, just fucking going ham. Yeah. Apparently it's more, unless if like that was dated information that I saw, but apparently it's still <laughs> the most. Um, and yeah, like it, he shaved his head for the role and it's, he was basically surprised by how much it affected him. He said it changed his life. He told New York Times in 1987, he said, women didn't look at me most of the time. Uh, I was looking at the at their backs as they were running away. He said people <laughs> used to say things to me twice because they thought I was actually stupid. So yeah, it's <laughs> like it really like kind of fucked with like people and 
I guess they thought he was just stupid or something. I don't know. It's crazy. That's so strange. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, I think it's just fitting, you know, for the private Gomer pile. I, I felt bad for him. I think if I was you to ask me if I were anybody in this film, I'd probably be him because I wouldn't be able to me do too. all that shit. <laughs> you know? When he's climbing the ladder and he yeah. can't get over, and I can't do a push-up. Yeah. Shit. A pull-up, sorry. So in honor of him, I just want to call a ration time. It's Russian 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 time. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. You want to go first or yeah. do you want to see my disappointing one? Well, you go first if you're going to be disappointing here because you you uh, said last week and um, a spoiler for people who want to peek behind the curtain um, this happens to be a week where we were recording these episodes back to back. Doubling up. Yeah. And you were like, oh yeah, I didn't really have anything. Uh, so I just had shit at my house. So I'm assuming you did the same for this. Yeah. So here we go. Cool. Well, uh, Private Joker, what's he got on his helmet? Uh, says born to kill. Born to kill. Born to dill. <laughs> That's some pickles. <laughs> Got some, some dill pickles. Okay. Got some pickles. Got I don't have proper pickles. I've got the sandwich slices. Okay. They are well nice. Yeah. Hold on. They're the Mrs. Ellswood kind. Yeah, I used to get those all the time. Oh boy, look at that. Yeah. Ooh. Sandwich pickles. Put some sure. put some fucking salt Sprinkle on them. Sprinkle some pickle juice on it for flavor. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> wow, I've thought that age. Sprinkle on my sandwiches for flavor. <laughs> Okay, put some salt on it though. Cause yep. What are we doing here? I don't, I don't know. Okay, here we go. I'm trying to get some sort of sound out of it. A bit crunch. That's um, I think that's maybe mm. the most like ration snack you've ever had uh, since Vietnam. That's true. It's very yeah. entertaining. This is all I had this week. It's very entertaining that you would do that and what I'm about to do as well. Uh, it's pretty yeah, inter- interesting. So how is it? How's your, how's your pickle? It's good, man. I love how's a good pickle. pickle? <laughs> My um, pickle's good. Um, this is like, this is the top brand to get if you're yeah. going to get pickled. I like pickles. I can overdo it on, you know, you know, sometimes you have too many pickles. Yeah. And I'm not, I can't really like sit and just eat pickles. Yeah, yeah. But maybe I'll have like a week where I put pickles on everything or on the side <laughs> of everything. And then I can't have pickles for like a month. Yeah. It like, it grosses me out. Like it makes <laughs> me want to be sick. But I haven't had pickles in a while. So this is, this is very, very good. How many, so you, you have uh, Born to Kill on your helmet. So how many? Born to Dill. Born to Dill on your helmet. How many uh, peace buttons are on your jacket? <laughs> Four, two on each side. Two on each side. Cool. What's the meaning of this? <laughs> <laughs> what you got? What you got? All right. Well, in honor of uh, Private Leonard Gomer Powell Lawrence, um, you know, okay, so I have my ration box, right? So <laughs> right. I have All my right. ration box. Um, 
you know, in, uh, in my footlocker and, uh, there was inspection, the drill sergeant found something inside of, uh, inside of my ration box. There was something that I took from the canteen that I shouldn't have, but I had been oh, sick of every week, <laughs> every week. <laughs> so Phil, I'm going to need you to drop and give me uh 20 while I enjoy my two. Well, I'm just going to eat one. I'm not going to have two. No. Jam ball? Donuts? Jam ball? ball What's the ball part uh, for? But anyway, I've got some jam donuts. <laughs> nice. Do they not have holes in them? I guess not. Which They're it kind of looked like his was like that, you know, like one of these jam filled like ball donuts, like a ball, a ball of dough. It looks very much like the one he had, right? Mm. Step that on. Huh? Huh? There we go. Finally. Yeah, this is finally the best thing I've had <laughs> in fucking weeks. <laughs> is it good? Yeah, it's all right. It's it's not it's not great, but it. But it's not bad. It's it's just like it's not like oh this is like fantastic donut. I mean it does the trick. It's like sugary. I mean you can't go wrong with the donut. I, I don't mind a jam filled one. To be honest, it reminds me a lot of um, of work um, hmm. because we used to do Wayne stock all the time. So it would be Wayne's World one and two. We'd have the jelly donut. Yeah, and we would give out jelly donuts like Stan and Keto's donuts. So it's taking me back. That's Very good, messy. Man. Yeah. Donuts are the same thing with me. Like, I like them, but I don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Couldn't sit and have a bunch of donuts. Pref- I'd find it very sickening. I prefer like, a glaze. They're a good idea at first, mm-hmm. and then you get sick of them quite quickly. But, like, one good donut with a coffee or something? Yeah. Dead on. I prefer a glazed donut or. Me too. Or mm-hmm. a, uh, a Boston cream is really good. But you know what's really good with donuts is just like. Uh, Tim Hortons does is the Tim Bits, and then um, Dunkin' I've Donut a does, lot about Tim Bits, yeah. does the uh, the Munchkins. You can't go wrong with that because it's just a small little. It's the hole. It's the it's the hole <laughs> of the donut. It's the small little ball of donut, and it's like just you, one little one. You don't have to like worry about like overdoing it, you know. So yeah, it's not bad. This at least. Good. Certainly better how, than last week's. <laughs> how many um, pillowcases full of soap bar do you give it? Well, because I caused how many you taken? I caused the whole team to have to deal with it. Um, yeah, probably three, and then I'm gonna like scream. A solid <laughs> three. You know, it's like you know, not not perfect. It's not like a perfect donut, but. It's all right. It's, it's all right. It's all right. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's get back into it. Arlie Emery. I don't, have to ju- <laughs> don't actually have to drop and give you 20. <laughs> no, no. Because <laughs> Arlie Emery isn't here. He can't hurt you. Um, yeah, good. He plays Gunnery Sergeant uh, Hartman, the harsh, fouled mouth and ruthless drill instructor. Originally, Kubrick wanted to hire Ed Harris in the role, who turned it down. I could see that. Then he, he pursued Bill McKinney. This is like strange. So there's a lot of like Kubrick being afraid by people. Um, okay, so <laughs> Bill McKinney, uh, he played the mountain man rapist in Deliverance. And according to Deliverance director John Borman, Kubrick phoned me up and said, 
what's Bill McKinney like? And I said, he's a very good actor and a lovely guy. And Kubrick said, adopting a skeptical tone. Come on now. That's the most terrifying scene ever put to put on film. And that guy uh. has to be an awful person. He phoned me two or three times about Bill McKinney and eventually offered him the part. Bill told me later that he was in L.A. Uh, at the L.A. airport about to come to London and he got a message from Kubrick to cancel. He was paid in full, but Kubrick couldn't bear face him. He was just too afraid. <laughs> so weird, right? Kubrick knows that like movies aren't real, right? <laughs> I don't know if he knows. He like makes them for a living. Maybe that adds like a point to he actually filmed the moon landings. Like, you know, he's just so in <laughs> on things that he doesn't know it's real or fake anymore. I don't That's know. That's an idea. That's an idea. So without McKinney, Kubrick hired former Marine Tim Colseri to play the part. But after 30 minutes of yelling during some rehearsals, Colseri was tired out. And it was decided that he was better suited to play the door, <laughs> the door gunner in the helicopter scene. So he's still in the film. He, he still made it. Yeah. And that's where Arlie Emery comes in. So he had his eyes on the role the whole time. Uh, Emery was a former Marine sergeant who had served as a drill instructor before doing two tours of duty in Vietnam. And then he made his acting debut in 1978's The Boys, the Boys and Company C. And then he served as a technical technical advisor on both Apocalypse Now and an officer and a gentleman, appearing in a cameo in uh, Apocalypse Now at some point. And then he helped Louis Gossett Jr. win an Oscar for his uh, performance as the, another gunnery sergeant, an officer and a gentleman. So he like helped him win an Oscar because he's okay. so good and it's so legit. So to begin with, Emery was basically on set only to be an advisor on Full Metal Jacket. But he filmed his own audition tape, improvising insults uh, while being pelted with oranges and tennis balls. And his unfazed fury convinced Kubrick that he had the right man and he and the rest was history. He was allowed to improvise his profane insults, having to explain to the director what a reach around was at one point. <laughs> and as much Oh my of, god, that's so sweet. <laughs> like I wanna be a fly in the wall. Yeah. Where like an early M we have to explain to Stanley Kubrick what a reach around is. Yeah. That's Amazing. I mean, it's incredible too because we were talking about like uh, how Kubrick's like, you know, he's so particular about how his scenes are doing and how the dialogue's like being perceived and stuff. And, and he just let this guy go. go for it. Yeah. And that's and like it the made it so much yeah, better. It's a brilliant writer. Could you imagine if he wasn't in this? I don't think this film would be as good at all. At no, all. I can't imagine any other actor. Like it's the guy and it, it just feels real, feels legit, and it doesn't feel scripted. Yeah. And that's what you want to go for anyway. The trick is to make people feel like it isn't scripted. It's not fake. Yeah. Um, and you just it look, and even the, the guys, respond, and it makes everybody else in acting better. Yeah. Because definitely. they're responding. He's forcing them to respond in more realistic and urgent ways. So yeah, make the movie way fucking better. Yeah. It would not be half the movie without, without him in the role for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, he got to do 50% of the dialogue being ad-lib, which is, like, incredible for a Kubrick film. And, like, it made his career, like we said earlier. I mean, you know, yeah. he he was in a couple of films before, which I mentioned. But, like, this was, like, you know, this was what made... I mean, growing up, I saw him on TV all the time. 
He got to mm-hmm. basically be in like commercials and stuff because of and still playing the same role, but he made a career out of it. And it's like, who cares? Like, I doubt he would have had those options otherwise. So it's like good on him, man. Just making a career out of doing what you do best, which was be this fucking legit badass drill instructor, which is crazy. But yeah, it wasn't all like roses with like Arlie Emery. Apparently one night, like halfway through production, uh, he broke all of his ribs on one side uh, of his body in a car crash. And he was driving home from set. They were, I can't remember where, but it was like, you know, it's near London and he got in his car accident. And it's an area where a lot of people get in car accidents and stuff. And like, I think the cops were very surprised. I guess it's just kind of how badass he is. He like was completely awake somehow. And like, you know, and he <laughs> unfazed. Un- like, yeah, almost he like, you know, horrible broken ribs, but he kept, he was able to keep flashing his lights so that like someone eventually saw him. It was really late at night and like they pulled over and saw him, but it's an area where cops said that they, they pulled over so many times and it's just like, they find, you know, someone dead. And he was like alive and awake, you know, and like flagged them down. It was crazy. Um, but yeah, his injury was part of the reason why it took almost a full year. Well, like, I guess like two years to shoot the film because they like shut down filming for like four and a half months just to like let him get better. Let him heal. Arliss Howard plays private slash Sergeant Cowboy Evans. I like Arliss Howard. He's kind of like, you know, just his, you know, a Joker's pal in this, you know, and they meet up later. It's kind of sweet, you know, when they like mm. just talking shit to each other, even though some of their like, <laughs> you know, weird uh, boy hazing or, you know, talking shit to each other is kind of gross at times. <laughs> but, of course, yeah. But yeah, whatever. Arliss Howard, I don't know, can't go wrong with the guy who plays uh, adult Scotty Smalls. Here we go, Mr. Mr. Baseball. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Sand- Baseball. Sandlot, so, um, of course. Yeah. 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 Uh, we have Kevin Major Howard as a private first class rafter man. He's like the photographer. He's a really interesting yeah. character because he's like you you see on the second half of the film, like his development. It's really interesting how Kubrick does that, like where the big thing at the end of the film is like, you know, Joker having to like put down this girl and she's screaming like, yeah. you know, she was just saying like, out of a memory. Yeah. Me. and he just like makes the decision to do it but like when when they when they take her down it's rafter man who actually like initially gives her like the shot that you know is basically going to kill her the wound the yeah, wounds yeah. Her. um the and the, his his reaction is like so happy and he's like so gung-ho about this and it's really awkward and it's like almost everybody else doesn't really react to it you know, and he's just mm. like, yeah, I took it down. I shot, I shot the sniper. I got her. And it's like, it's this weird transition from like a guy who's really inquisitive and wanting to be out there, obviously. And he's following around Joker and turning into like this fucking just kind of despicable killer. <laughs> it's like really strange. <laughs> yeah, it happened. Adam Baldwin plays Animal Mother, the really fucking psychotic uh, machine gunner who's uh, basically just really prideful and killing people and he's just horrible <laughs> but like uh apparently there was a scene where he was supposed to like i don't know if you noticed he's always got like a machete on his back and throughout the yeah. whole fucking film he's like got this machete 
um, but he never really uses it. Um, but at the end of the film, he was supposed to cut the sniper's head off. It was supposed to be this whole thing, like where you know, Joker, like dead presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, Joker has this whole thing where it's like it's a big moment, like to shoot this girl, and it's like the whole thing of that's the whole loss of innocence thing, you know, like because up to that point he might've been lying about how much he actually saw in combat and stuff. Cause there's like the earlier in the film where they're having like these sort of like uh, back and forth with like another guy at the uh, stars and stripes barracks or whatever, before the Tet offensive, like where they're like talking shit about, Oh, you ain't never seen no combat and stuff, you know? <laughs> and it's like, seems like they're kind of lying about stuff, but then obviously like this is an important moment in his life where he's like, I have to kill this girl here. And it's like to put an animal out of its misery in a way, you know, and it's very sad, yeah. but like the scene was supposed to be like animal mother, like, nah, this means nothing to me. And he just cuts her fucking head off and takes her fucking head as like almost like a trophy. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's fucking grim, but they took that out of <sighs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's no relation to he's not part of the Baldwin. No, right? no, no, no. Just a uniquely named Baldwin. Baldwin. What are the odds? There's too many Baldwin yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. He's we got a weird face. He, he bothers me and I don't know what it is. He was in uh, a lot like of films, him. but yeah, he's very unlikable looking. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's because of this. Yeah. Cause I don't really know what else I know him from beyond like Chuck. Yeah. And he was a dick in Chuck yeah, as well. He's a good dick. So like apparently Yeah, he's a good dick. It's weird. <laughs> apparently uh Arnold Schwarzenegger was considered for this role, but he turned it down in favor of the running man. I just can't imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't imagine. It would just be a completely different movie. Yeah, it would be. Um I can't imagine even Kubrick considering that. Yeah. I guess it's still somewhat early in Arnie's career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean Running Man was like uh you know, one of his big in, you know, Arnie big movies, like, you know, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I can't imagine it. Yeah. And like predator, predator comes down like the same. Year, yeah. So he yeah, got yeah. his jungle war movie. Yeah. True. <laughs> true. True. Uh, Dorian Harwood plays uh corporal, corporal, uh, ball. He's a member of the squad and animal mother's friends. I mean, he's, you know, pretty funny in the film, you know, mm-hmm. but again, like a lot of his big scenes come from the sort of like, segments of uh <laughs> that, I, that i just find weird nowadays like you know it was like this is purebred alabama black snake <laughs> 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 uh, um but yeah anyway by this point in in kubrick's life by the point full metal jacket was made you know he's from new york but you know he's by by a long time been living in england and he has a big fear of flying. So the entire movie itself was filmed in England. A uh, mm. British territorial army base doubled as a marine boot camp, Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, so during all the boot camp scenes, that was near Cambridge, um, I believe. Uh, and they also used a uh, rifle range near Cambridge where Private Pyle was shown to be a shooting savant. An abandoned set to be demolished gas works in Beckton in the Docklands of uh, East London near the Thames was used as Da Nang, Dubai, and Hue City. So that's like a really interesting bit. I think I've, I saw like really old, a really old weird BBC documentary a couple years ago um, floating around about like Kubrick shooting there and stuff. And it's really bizarre. Like 
he basically used these like still photographs of, of Huey in 1968. And he found these buildings in the Dockland area to have like this similar sort of almost like French architecture. And the gas works was like owned by British gas and it was scheduled to be demolished. So they allowed Kubrick just to blow up the buildings and they had like demolition guys in there for a week laying charges. And then like one Sunday, all the executives from British gas brought their families down to watch them blow the place up. (laughs) Apparently it was pretty spectacular. And like they had a wrecking ball in there for like two months with the art director, just telling the operator which hole to knock into which building. So like, you know, all those crazy holes that were in the buildings and shit, they're just like knocking shit around. And like, to make it even crazier, like they basically brought in like 200 palm trees from Spain and then a hundred thousand plastic plants were shipped from Hong Kong. And like, that's how they basically had this like insane set that makes it look like they're in. It really does. And in England, the crazier (laughs) thing about it is they were working in basically a roughly like a one square mile radius. Kubrick got all of that, (laughs) <laughs> out of like a mile <laughs> a square mile yeah i mean you took it a long way i mean yeah. it, it went a long way and i yeah it doesn't even come into my mind when watching yeah that this definitely looked like england and this is definitely like just a square mile yeah just a reusing repurposing i take walks over in that area well at least i used to a lot because like i used to like going out towards the um the airport like over there in East London, like so mm. the city airport area, that would have been London roughly, airport. you know, where this would have been, man. It's like crazy to think that he did that just in London. It's weird, man. <laughs> like all that. Really I think weird. that's what's the most. All that because you're afraid part. of flying. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You go through all this. It's like, I think yeah. one of the more impressive parts of that second half of the film is just like how it was made and what he did. And just like, yeah, apparently it was pretty difficult though because like uh matthew modine said that like becton gasworks was like a toxic environment for the film crew because it was like (laughs) contaminated with asbestos and like all these other chemicals and stuff and they were just blowing all that shit up so it was probably pretty fucking horrific yeah so stanley kubrick's daughter vivian who appears uncredited as a news camera operator in the film as well. She was uh, shadowing the filming of Full Metal Jacket. She filmed 18 hours of behind-the-scenes footage for a potential making-of documentary that went unmade. I think they did end up using some of that footage like like later on. I'm not really sure about that, mm. so don't quote me on it. Um, so there's no Heart of Darkness for no, Full Metal there Jacket. Sh- there should be, though. There should be, man. Imagine that, Definitely. like, if that just came out properly. Um, it probably wouldn't be as entertaining though. I just don't think Kubrick. No, had... nobody nearly died. Yeah, on this set, right. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, like, well, it, well, Arlie Emery, but it was like a car accident that could have happened, like, yeah. on any set. Like, it's not because any of, set, yeah. of like he was pushed to the brink or anything. Um, no, it's just because he got probably confused with driving on the other side. Of the road. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand a goddamn thing, thing over here. This is why we left Great Britain. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> we drive on the left side. <laughs> Throw more tea in the river. Throw more tea in the Boston Harbor. Yeah. America. America. But yeah, Vivian also, under the alias of Abigail Mead, wrote the film score, which again is kind of a cool, like weird, like last week's uh, film, understated, weird, 
haunting sort of score. There's a lot of these like weird like whistle sounds and like, you know, almost like bottles are being hit and stuff. And like, I think there was a lot of like synths being used and stuff. It's really a bizarre soundtrack. Like, it's cool though. Again, like Apocalypse Now, that sort of synthy sort of vibe. But it got that also like ironic use of music that Kubrick liked. Like the song it starts with, I really like. I forget what it's called, but when they they all get in their head. Yeah, shaped. Johnny writes "Hello Vietnam." Yeah, that's it. That's a really good, song. brilliant. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. yeah, a song for whatever reason. I always, I don't know why. And again, this could just be because, like I said earlier, this film was just like always kind of there, like it always existed in my life. Uh, the Dixie Cups, Chapel of Love, is like a oh, song yeah. for whatever reason I always thought like was in Goodfellas and then like I'm always reminded it's not in Goodfellas it's like one of those weird like things but I love that song going to the chapel and we're gonna get mad <laughs> so good yeah uh, we got Sam the Sham and the Pharaoh's Wooly Bully which is yeah I mean this is a good soundtrack um, yeah. we got uh, Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walking which I mean I've, I've kind of I feel like I've kind of shat on that scene a little bit like without really <laughs> shitting on it um, the uh, the scene where like that song's playing and the girl walks up and it's like yeah. we love you long time me sucky sucky like I think it's just it's weird nowadays it just feels kind of slightly racist and strange but when True. she walks up, <laughs> when she's walking up to them and these boots are made for walking, it's like the perfect song to play. <laughs> I feel like I was reading a Rolling Stone interview where they managed to get an interview with Stanley Kubrick and he was talking, they were talking about the music and stuff and he was just like, yeah, I mean like maybe that wasn't like the song that you would think that I would use because they were questioning that song. But he was just like, but like it worked, didn't it? Or like it was just like was like a great song. He so basically what they did, they went through Billboard's list of top 100 um, hits for each year from 62 to 68, and they tried to use as many songs as they could that were found in there. Um, so yeah, it was just like a really strange. I think just perfect needle drop for that moment. Um, yeah, yeah it's like I mean she's we've had to it. It's just perfect. <laughs> it timed perfectly. Yeah. But like the. Um, Vietnam movies obviously are known for great soundtrack. Yeah. Have we had any repeats at this point? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think which we is have. Weird. Yeah. That's really impressive because yeah. again, it's a very specific moment in time. But like you know, like well, at least with Dead Presidents, it's very like the Motown stuff. Yeah. Um, and Apocalypse Now, kind of, there's only a couple of songs. Mm-hmm. They actually kind of steer away from it. Yeah. Um, but they used the, uh, the big songs, they like that faction stuff. We have a like that's the thing we've we've picked a good mix. I think um, I think Vietnam it's weird, which <laughs> we'll get to. Um, but like I think when, <laughs> when it comes to the music, I think uh, a lot of people think about one film in particular, and it's just kind of like takes over the you know it takes over the world in terms of like what Vietnam songs are, and I think it's particularly the like, uses yeah. the usage of like a, a certain band. Um, I feel like there's been other lesser than films that have used uh, that same band for like in those same songs and maybe they're war films or whatever and it makes you think oh yeah okay this is what we're doing Um, but anyway uh, we get the Trashman Surfing Bird which is fun Um, that felt like a repeat and I was trying to I thought it was in one of the films but it wasn't it was just it was in the uh, I put it inside of one of those adverts in the Young Sheldon episode that I did so that's what you fucking did didn't you (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're talking about this bird (laughs) 
Um, God damn you. Yeah, and then, uh, of course, uh, we end the film with uh, the Rolling Stones painted black, um, which is just, like, a great way to oh, Apparently, Cooper could never heard any of the Rolling Stones before until that point. Like, Does Stanley Kubrick live under a fucking rock? Yeah. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> He's scared of actors. Yeah. And, like, yeah, just hadn't heard anything. Doesn't know what a reach around is. <laughs> like, how did this guy make 2001? I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know. It was a different time, man. It's a different I think time. he could only, I think, I guess that guy could, only that guy could make it because he's, yeah. you know. He's just living in another, like, Whatever. dimension. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, there was a yeah. single titled Full Metal Jacket, I Want to Be Your Drill Instructor, which was credited to Mead and Nigel Golding, and it was, uh, which was, Mead is uh, Kubrick's daughter. Um, and it was released mm. to promote the film, and it incorporates Arlie uh, Emery's uh, drill cadences from the film, and I think also, like, quotes. Well, I think there was two songs, actually. There was two weird ones, and it's weird. They just both chart it, particularly that one, I Want to Be Your Drill Instructor, like, reached number two in the UK singles chart. It's, like, really weird. It just became this weird, unexpected hit for this weird, bizarre, like, hey, let's just throw in, like, quotes from the film, like, you know, cut it out into, like, some strange music. Really weird. That's so strange, yeah. Um, But then there was another one that I think, like, you know, took, and I feel like I do remember it, like, in the credits, um, where it's this weird music that takes, like, you know, words from Matthew Modine and, uh, like, me love you long time, me suck, you know, like, it's just using those, it just doesn't sound real because it's like, a, like, I can't imagine Kubrick having songs that are, like, almost like, that feels like so early 90s, like, late 80s, early 90s, which I guess it was late 80s, 87. Uh, where the, it was all the rage to have these like weird mashup songs like with weird quotes from the film. <laughs> I know I remember there's one on the um fuck there's one on the uh there's a like a South Park album. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember the like, South Park album. Like early in its run, yeah. Yeah, not not the movie soundtrack, but there was the one that had like no, 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 no. chef's uh, sweet chocolate salty balls on it and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly, bad. Bad, a fucking great song. It's yeah. a good lineup. Joe Drummond on that album and shit. Um, but there, there was a song that's just a mashup of like all the quotes from like the first season or two. Yeah. And it's amazing, but it's so like of that time. That would never count yeah. for a song. Wow, that's a weird soundtrack. It was like the. Was there not like a weird version of the, the MC Hammer song from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that had like all these weird like lines from the film in it as well? Oh, I thought that is just the song. Though. Yeah. Turtle yeah. Power, where he's just yeah. like, I need a reporter. Give me yeah. April. Only he's just naming <laughs> yeah. things yeah. and saying what happened in the movie. Yeah. So they go down the street. It's that kind of <laughs> song, you know? And they were like, here's this movie. I want you to write a song about it. And he's just like, I got you. Stay left. Stay you. left. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> <laughs> So Raphael lost his thigh. <laughs> Here comes Katie Jones with a hockey mask. They have a weird conversation about cricket. What is cricket? <laughs> <laughs> what is cricket? Tell me you didn't pay money for this. <laughs> tell, 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 tell me you didn't pay money for this. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket was released in June 1987 and it eventually made around $46.4 million. Eventually, worldwide, it made $120 million. I don't know if that was like 
over years and years because it was like by this date it made 120 million worldwide but mm. that's on a production cost of anywhere from 16.5 to 30 million dollars really weird how there's not like a concise Shroud number there it's just like yeah. where's that extra almost 15 million like whoa <laughs> <laughs> The film was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay with R. Lee Emery nominated for Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. It would receive relatively favorable reviews with uh, Emery's performance heavily praised. Several reviews, however, were critical of the latter part of the film, which it's set in Vietnam and it was considered muddle uh, moral message in the finale. Richard Corliss of Times called the film a technical knockout, praising the dialogue's wild and desperate wit, the daring to choose a skirmish to make a point about the world's about war's pointlessness, and the fine, large performances of almost every actor saying that Emery and D'Afrio would receive Oscar nominations. Not true, didn't happen. Uh, Corliss appreciated huh, the Olympian elegance and precision of Kubrick's filmmaking. Uh, Empire's Ian Nathan awarded the film three stars out of five, saying that it's inconsistent and describing it as both powerful and frustratingly unengaged. (laughs) Nathan said that after the opening act, which focuses on the recruit training, the film becomes bereft of purpose. Nevertheless, he summarized his review by calling it a hearty uh, Kubrickian, <laughs> that's a weird Kubrickian, Kubrickian uh, effort that uh, warms on you with repeated viewings and praises Emery's staggering performance. So, yeah, I think that's like, I kind of it, sums it's it up. One, yeah, it's a one of the, I would say his movies don't have a lot of rewatch value. Mm. Maybe that's, that's true. Maybe that's like way out of line. But they are quite intense. They can be quite intense yeah. experiences, and you, you do, you know, they can be overwhelming, and they could just be a lot, or maybe upsetting, or yeah. like just very. They're very specific experiences, and there's only, only one do I find myself going back to consistently in that 2001. Yeah, I was going to say 2001 I, has a lot of value in that sort of aspect that, that but it's just really long yeah. though and it's like it's, it's a very lot. long yeah so it's not like mm. something you're gonna want to watch like you know maybe but not yeah, even like full metal jacket you know? i don't think i've seen it all the way through i think i've maybe seen it just twice mm. like all the way through like and the rest of its film same thing maybe like once or twice max yeah you know like Shining, I've seen a couple of times, but that's good. We show a lot of work. Clockwork Orange is one and done. <laughs> don't like it. Don't want. Don't want to see that again. Um, that one's a really shot. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, no, no good. Yeah, get rid of it. Doctor Strange, I've had to rewatch. Yeah, that actually. one's really funny. good. I was going to say Doctor. That's Strange. an outlier. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Strange. I mean, like, I feel it like it's just a comedy. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like, um, yeah, like Paths of Glory is great. But it's not something I'm going to watch like a lot, you know. It's like and it's, Full Metal Jacket. It's just the but the first half. Yeah, very yeah. I can rewatch the but first the whole half. Film? The whole film, not so much. Yeah, it's it's like it's only two hours long. It's not even like that long of a film. And no, in some respects, no, you might think it might be like a huge, crazy, like long film. But like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it's funny. Like, I I think it's it's a it's a great movie, but at the same time when I compare it to other Vietnam films, it's kind of like, it's interesting that we, we've done three now 
and we're even like I was I was going to ask you what are some of your favorite Vietnam films that we haven't talked about but then like you've opened up we might talk about yeah, that you you've you've opened up Pandora's box we might jump into more um so I'll maybe I, put a pin on that I don't know cuz we might yeah, just leave up talking now. about them and also you've admitted that you yeah. haven't seen some of them so I haven't yeah, yeah. I mean and like what well, I would say for this film obviously for Metal Jacket fucking Great, yeah. classic, um, Kubrick film. Always worth your time. Again, I think it's post-apocalypse now. There's only so far like that cold, restrained view that Kubrick had on things. This movie is incredibly bleak. Yeah, and so and it highlights the f- fucking futility of war, and it does it really well. Yeah, just maybe like beyond at this point, I would like I want more out of the experience. Yeah, I want things to like really dive into it, and yeah, and I guess Good Apocalypse now takes you on like a real mental journey. Yeah, and like makes you think about, and maybe doesn't even same sort of thing. Doesn't really get to an ending, but it's still good to watch. Um, and same thing with Dead President. I guess that the the that the hard bit, yeah, of war film is that there is no definitive end because we never came out on the other side. And it's like, and there was never another war again. Yeah, we learned yeah, our yeah, lesson, yeah. and this, here is the lesson. If anything, we never learned the lesson. We still keep fighting pointless yeah. fucking wars around the world over and over and over again. And that's the bleak thing. Yeah, sending children over to fight and die. And if anything, like the which we've been kind of talking about with Vietnam, it's like this is where it was exposed for like being as <laughs> yeah. horrible as it is, and there's no like. There's no good patriotic Vietnam films, I don't think. Like, so if we like, born on the Fourth of July, <laughs> yeah. that's not patriotic. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think I I'm totally I'm totally open to keep going because like I was going to say, you know, we've seen some of the best and an underrated film that's uh, based on the Vietnam War during our war arc, and like, what if we talked about the with a bunch of E's, the best um, next week. Because mama said life is like a box of chocolate. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. But goddamn. Like, it's much fun as I'm going to have next week with that. And that's also going to be our final. Uh, it was originally going to be our final Vietnam film, but also our final war movie before we take a break for our Halloween season of uh, vampires, witches and werewolves. Oh my, I, 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 I feel like what you've just said about like feeling like you want a little bit more out of it. Like, you know, and it, it, I think we've ruined it because like apocalypse now is so grand. We almost could have just, it should have ended with it. They were yeah, chasing, one and done. chasing the dragon, man. We're chasing the dragon. And um, I feel like maybe if we add a, a few more, we pepper a few more Vietnam films in, <laughs> And there's if one in just particular. Sprinkle it on like the yeah, pickle juice. Just sprinkle it on like the flavor. pickle juice for flavor. Um, Hannibal Burris might bring us a really good Vietnam film towards the end. Uh, I've got one in mind that I think we could end it with that you said you've not seen that will, uh, I think, beef like epic enough. Beef? That would beef, beef. it out. Yeah. Beef. So beef. we'll see. All right. But, we'll think about um, it. We got a few weeks. We'll put a pen in it. Like we know what we're doing next week. We know what it's we're doing next for week. Now. We're getting like yeah. the soundtrack. It's least. the best one. Um, yeah. 
and I'm excited to talk about it. So uh, we'll, I'm talking. We'll I'm excited that. to uh, to talk about one thing in particular. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go do yourself a favor now. Yeah. Go listen to our episode on Big. Do that. Yes, please. Really do, do that. Homework. It had one of our like like biggest moments of just laughing. Yeah. At a thing and unexpectedly you know, as well. Like it wasn't supposed well, to happen. We will. It will be referenced. Next yeah. Week. Again. <laughs> That was like born out of my watching war movies because like what big that no uh that well that <laughs> bit of me talking about because it was big was like oh, yeah. early 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 this year right and it was like yeah, yeah. I was like oh it's I just swap. I just watched uh you know I had just watched Forrest Gump and like it started the whole like joke about that and I just like went off and we were laughing so so hard because it was just like a scene I had just <laughs> never remembered how funny it was (laughs) so anyway i'm looking forward to it next week it should be fun um hopefully it'll put us in more like chipper spirits and stuff and um maybe we'll feel like at the end of it we don't need to put ourselves through more vietnam but in a way i almost kind of want to because i am as as depressing as it is it's kind of fun living in vietnam for a bit (laughs) i'm starting to like it yeah i'm starting to like it it's like munchausen no not munchausen um it's like uh Stockholm syndrome you know we're like giving ourselves mm. Stockholm syndrome like where we're just like you know being treated so badly that we're loving it you know <laughs> yeah um, well Phil uh, where can people find you <laughs> you're not on social media anymore you lucky bastard um, you, you don't know how yeah. much you miss him now not being on social media in the last few All weeks I- yeah, the only thing I'm no like Dusty can come in and be like, "Oh, the Queen died," and I have no idea that that was like happening. Yeah. So um, you can find me at the cinema. Um, please don't make the "Are we changing our name?" joke. Yeah, that that's all I ask. But yeah, come in and say hi if you know me. <laughs> um, other than that, I'll be you know on my floor in a ball. Sad. Sad. In a ball. Editing, maybe. I don't feel like it. Like, <laughs> um, cool. Like what about you? Well, you can find me at Tall for All, T A L L, the number four, A L L on Twitter or Instagram. Maybe I'll like, um, you know, at the last week's episode, just being all depressing about my album and stuff. But, you know, maybe by this point, I'm like kicking myself in the gear and I'll just like finish it. I don't know, release it. Who knows? Um, I do remember, like, and I'm pretty sure he was a listener of the podcast, and that's how he like ended up following me on on instagram and i'm saying that and i'm like forgetting his name and i feel really bad but like i had uh i posted like a bit of a song called cumulus which you know phil um which i know it very well may or may not um end up in some movie um that someone's editing (laughs) um so yeah it was jamie who goes by chaz mundo on instagram shout out if you're still a listener of the podcast because i think you've start following me because of that but he yeah I just like was scrolling through my Instagram and I saw that he said uh, on that video I mean this is ages ago I posted it but he was just like yes mate sounds so good so I'm like you know it's like if people listening to this podcast like my music and stuff because I've been they start following me and I post stuff and then like you know I'm just like hyped I want to fucking get it out there I need to it's too long get it's hyped. been too long it's been over seven years what the hell am I like waiting for to like release another album well, it hasn't. It hasn't. I, I released. No, you released. I released yeah, yeah. Uh, my EP. You dropped least, the EP. 
still that was a that was a long time ago now like two years so <sighs> all right <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you next week's episode's well, gonna like be all the inspiration you ever need if that guy can do it if he can teach elvis to dance i mean anyone can do it this podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod charles cinecast caged in Copa connections a drip town limery maine franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.